Welcome to Episode 7 of Sport Oregon Voices. This podcast gives you an insider's look at upcoming events and shares the unique stories that prove there's no better place in the world for sports than here in Oregon. This episode is all about the Oregon State Beavers and their upcoming bowl game in Vegas this weekend. Beaver football is wrapping up a resurgent season, looking to win its 10th game for the third time in school history. The Beavs came in at number 14 in the final college football playoff rankings and are ready to take on a formidable Florida team Saturday. Today, we're joined by Oregon State head football coach Jonathan Smith, Vice President and Director of Intercollegiate Athletics Scott Barnes, and broadcaster Josh Worden to preview the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. If you want sport at the highest level, we've got you. Welcome to Episode 7 of Sport Oregon Voices. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of Sport Oregon Voices. We're here in Corvallis on the campus of Oregon State University to visit with Beaver football before the team heads to the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl on Saturday. Oregon State will face Florida from the Southeastern Conference at Allegiant Stadium with kickoff slated for 11.30 a.m. on ESPN. Oregon State is 9-3 this season after finishing the regular season at a 6-3 record in Pac-12 play. It's the Beavers' nine wins or the most since the 2012 team finished 9-4. I'm Josh Warden, part of the broadcast team here with Oregon State. Today we're joined by OSU head football coach Jonathan Smith and Vice President and Director of Intercollegiate Athletics, Scott Barnes. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us and happy Bull Week. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you very much. Well, uh, yeah, facing Florida in a few days from now, Jonathan, it's a less time than some bowl games for sure, but you're used to that from last season, how are preparations going? It's going well. There's no question there's less time. Uh, recruiting's taking place at the same time, so we're trying to handle both of them. Uh, got some good practice in the last couple of days, just finished up today, and I think these guys are energized and excited to play. Good. Scott, for you, are, are you able to, to relish the moment of getting back to the bowl game, or are you too busy to really savor it? You know, we, I think once we get there, yeah. you start to it all sinks in. Right now, just uh, everybody's so engrossed with the planning portion. Right. right. Well, we want to kind of come back and tell the story about how you both got here just to appreciate where you're at now, get a lot of the people who are watching this who are somewhat familiar, but uh, to kind of retell how you both came to Oregon State. Uh, for you, Scott, you came to Oregon State in one sense a year before Jonathan, obviously. Jonathan has the history of, of playing here, but you've been here about five years from now, uh, five years now. Can you take me back to what originally appealed uh, to you about this job here in Corvallis? Well, I, I remember saying in my press conference this was a destination job, yeah. and I, you know, when I said that, I meant it, and like some of the things that, that, that I thought about are, are still evolving, but what does that mean? I think it means uh, you go to a place where you can win at the national level. Right. Uh, it means that you can attract coaches like Jonathan Smith and others who are elite, mm -hmm. uh, high-caliber staff and student athletes as well right. and then that fan base you know you got to have a passionate fan base and you know we do right. in spades there and then, then the quality of life piece is really important and i think all that uh, all that sort of fits into that that notion that oregon state um is a destination job right yeah it's for you jonathan i mean it dates back a few more years your your red shirt season was the 97 fall yep. uh now i'm curious your your first memories of even coming to Corvallis. I know you had a grandmother who lived here at one point. Tell me kind of the first impressions you had and when, how that kind of came into play before you played for Mike Riley in 97. Right, yeah, my, uh, my grandma lived here in Corvallis. I have some memories of being really young, coming to Corvallis when I was six, seven, eight. 
whatever it was, Christmas holidays type thing, not, not heavy memories. Um, but that was a little bit of a factor, deciding to come up here. And, and when I did uh, visit the place, and Mike Riley, like you mentioned, and college town, big time football, um, I'm obviously glad I did. When, do you remember, I mean, to be, it's one thing to get wined and dined for the big scholarship athletes. Did you ever have really any official visit or what was the process Right, like? I actually did. Okay. Yeah, it was late January. I took a visit up here and they invited me to walk on. I was uh, considering schools like UC Davis and Humboldt State. Okay. Um, and so it was later in the process, came up here and, you know, Mike Riley looks you in the eye and says, hey, you'll be treated just like everybody else on scholarship. Uh, you'll just be paying for it. He lived up to his word. That's one thing that I remember vividly that you try to recreate now as the head coach of opportunities for everybody. And um, so it was late January and then ended up deciding, I don't know, something like March and came on up. Yeah, worked out. Uh, there's a line of questioning whenever a team makes a big comeback win. Uh, you always get the question in the press conference, when did things change, right? That's always the classic. You know, I may ask a similar one about the Oregon game later on in this conversation. For your career as a player, I'm wondering if there was a point where you, you knew you changed from a walk-on where you always had confidence, I'm sure, but to become, get the starting job partway through the 98 season and then end up being basically a four-year starter. Was there a moment for your, your playing career? Or was there a distinction? You know, I, there were some moments even when I was redshirting my true freshman year feeling like, you know, I can do this thing playing with these guys. And I enjoyed redshirting, being on the scout team, going against the first team uh, defense. Got some opportunities in that first spring ball uh, that gained my confidence that I could play at this level. And you just kind of kept chipping away and then got a got an opportunity in that, that fall of my redshirt year and things took off from there. Yeah. Well, about 15 years passed from when you finished as a, a GA in the 02 and 03 seasons to coming back. And Scott, you had the opportunity to interview Jonathan and get a feel for his prowess as a potential candidate uh, when he was ultimately hired before the 2018 season. Uh, tell me your feelings of what made Jonathan an appealing candidate. Obviously, part of just the, the history and the connection of hiring a graduate is great. What, what else stood out to you about Jonathan? Yeah, that's always a gravy on top is, is when you can find what you're looking for and uh, somebody that uh, had an affinity for the place, which he did. But um, it, it was really um, the passion and, and his... Uh, his plan for his place. Every football coach has a plan. Sure. Um, Jonathan had a plan for this place and, and being able to articulate what works at Oregon mm -hmm. State, having lived through it himself. Yeah. Uh, he walked in in that interview with his Fiesta Bowl ring on just to <laughs> help confirm <laughs> uh, that, that he's been there before. Yeah. And a quiet confidence that you see now in him today right. uh, is sort of what, what uh, um, really got me excited. Is, is, uh, a steady hand, somebody that knew this place, that was passionate about this place, and had a plan for this place. Right. When you put that ring on, Jonathan, did you make it pretty clear? Stick out the hand, the handshake, or did you kind of hold it back? Oh, uh, no. And some of it, I always talk with my hands. So this thing was flashing <laughs> throughout the interview. It was blinding. It was blinding. <laughs> Just offered him the job right there. Why even go through the interview at that point? <laughs> when you ultimately started the job, Jonathan, you, you knew you had to establish a culture early on. It was important to uh, make it clear what your intentions were, what the goals were early on. When you look back at it from the 2018 season, what were some of the things that you uh, tried to do that helped build what we now see as a team that's you know a nine-win team? Yeah, uh, you know, we talked a lot about trust, getting to know each other and building this thing on trust and accountability in the first year. 
because um, let's face it, hadn't sat in the homes of any of the current players and recruited them. Um, the factor of that, the staff that you're bringing in that had affinity for Oregon State, got a couple of alums on the staff, but also the Northwest. Um, so that first year, trust and accountability, we're doing this thing together. I can, I can remember feeling too in the first year, like you making sure they knew we were all beeves here. You know, you weren't recruited by someone else or previous this. I'm a beeve, you're a beeve, we're all beeves here. Um, and we've carried that on uh, for, for the last few years that still comes down to being able to trust each other, having some accountability, and uh, it's gotten better each year. Coming into this year, uh, you had high hopes. I'm sure you're coming off a bowl season now, so there was a lot of momentum coming in. And then you start out 3-0. and It was the first time that uh, Oregon State had done that since the 2014 season. Uh, did it feel like that was a confirmation of what you had expected or maybe you learned a lot that you didn't anticipate things that you obviously factored in the rest of the season? But what did you know after 3-0? and We did feel good to be 3-0 and because I did those three teams we played, I thought they were pretty good at the time. And the, the seasons played out and all three of them were, are pretty good. So I thought we had accomplished something, kind of set, set ourselves up for the quality of play we were headed toward in the Pac-12. And uh, being 3-0 and was huge for us to, again, have the type of season you want to, you got to win early games against good opponents. So I think it, it prepped us pretty well. When I say it was the first uh, 3-0 and season since 2014, I, I hate to mention it since I love Mike Riley and it was his last year, but unfortunately that team actually didn't make a bowl game that season, whereas this team did and, and ended up winning nine games. Point being, you can go 3-0 and and finish 5-7 and or, or anything along those lines. How did you make sure the team didn't waver, stumble, but went on to win six more games? Yeah, I think they understood that each week's going to be tough. And, you know, even the way it started in conference play was not easy. Had a couple tough losses there and uh, fortunate to bounce back in our third game. And, and so each game has its own life and your own preparation. You go about it. doesn't matter what's taking place in the previous week, win or lose. Um, and I, I do. I credit this group of players we got, leaders, maturity there. Uh, it started with the player leadership on down to the rest of the roster and week in and week out, um, they, they brought it. Scott, you get to see the ins and outs of this team, travel around, watch a lot of the road games. I'm curious if there was a particular game you remember watching, uh, a moment that you saw, oh, this team really has grit. Similar that you know, last year's team was also talented, but this year's team ends up winning nine games. Was there a moment that kind of stuck with you to show this team is, is really special? You know, you, you kind of go all the way to the end for the Sure, rest. yeah, go for it. <laughs> Don't worry. You can spoil it, yeah. You know, you know here's, here's uh, Jonathan said it, there, here's two teams, uh, Mountain West sort of contenders that we play, one on the road, and to, to have a walk-off home run, right. uh, you know, sort of sort of finish at Fresno State, right. the grit to come back in that right. and, and play with resilience. and. When you're when you're winning on the game games on the road, you you've got to you've got to be resilient. Yeah. Stanford the same, and you start to piece those together. Think this team is is uh, got zero quitting, yeah. and that's going to go a long ways as we move through the season. Right. So those were those were certainly uh, high, high, high yeah. well, For you to, I mean, you were there in Fresno and, and in Stanford, right? What was the the Stanford one especially? complete change of momentum, pull it out of the end. Tell me about the, what you saw from the players and the exuberance and everything at the end. Uh, well, I, I, I saw it, but I was almost in a point of fainting <laughs> when I saw it. So I, but I'll tell you, just the, uh, the grit and to pull that off and, and to keep believing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, we had nearly zero chance to win there for a minute. Yeah. And uh, just to keep grinding, keep the process going, believe in yourselves. 
uh, and make plays yeah. and execute. Right. Uh, phenomenal. And I, I happened to be right on the sideline as the catch uh, <laughs> occurred and, and uh, uh, went into the end zone. So, uh, but those are the kind of games that you build on. Right. And I think this team and the maturity that Jonathan speaks about um, took that and used that right. um, to, to continue the momentum. When Treshawn made that uh, touchdown catch, changes the whole game, ended up winning. Do you find yourself turning into a fan? Do you raise your arms up and yell? Or do you try to stay professional? I wouldn't blame you either way. You... No, you can't help but get involved. <laughs> when you're Good. on the sidelines with them and you're in the locker room with them and, yeah. and you're, you're enjoying it. With yeah. them. You're celebrating. Good. Absolutely. Good. Uh, let's go to the, the last game of the regular season, a special one to, wow. to get a win over the Ducks. It was the first time for you, Jonathan, not to beat them, but the first time to do it in front of the home fans yeah. since 2020. Uh, that was a big game, but unfortunately, no one could really be there to, to watch it. So um, to have that moment for the fans, to have the roaring crowd, packed stadium, uh, just tell me what, what that memory is going to be like. Yeah, it was really special. I, again, I go back to our players of 2020, you know, that win that didn't get to experience you know, the fans and the energy and post-game and downtown after and all of that. So really felt good for them, the way they played for 60 minutes. Another one of these that went back and forth, we're down, doesn't look good, got our crowd back into it, finished the deal, crowds on the field, locker rooms going crazy, um, special stuff that those guys won't and I won't forget. Right. Uh, we mentioned the, w when the change happens, like when there's a comeback, when did, when did it all change? If you go back to Oregon State fumbles, U of O gets the football, ends up kicking a field goal to go up 31-10. That fumble happened about eight and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. If I had asked you at that moment, how many passes do you think you're going to throw the rest of the football game? I'd be surprised if you said zero. Well, I don't know what you were thinking. What were you thinking at that moment? Well, I wasn't thinking very good thoughts um, at that moment. I did feel like there's still a lot of football left. You know, we're still third quarter. If we could find a way to get a score, get the crowd back into it a little bit. Damian rips off a long run. We got a quick score in the run game. And then, yeah, we made a couple of plays on fourth down and you had a special teams play. And there was still a lot of football because there's, they got the ball. We're up four. I mean, that, that span mid mid-third quarter to the mid-fourth. I mean, a huge swing, but they still had opportunities to go finish the thing. And, you know, first and goal on the five, about three and a half minutes left, and defense uh, shows up big. Right. Ended up, yeah, zero passes attempted in the final quarter and a half, basically. Uh, I was had the honor of doing the PA announcing for that game, and I remember in between timeouts just kind of putting the mic down and thinking, man, if everything goes right, if you get a stop, get a store, get a stop, get a store, maybe you have a chance for a last-minute drive to tie it. You end up taking the lead with 8-11 to go in the fourth quarter. It was dramatic. I don't know how that happened uh, or if you can explain it. Scott, were you, I don't know, surprised isn't the right word, but tell me your experience of watching that, that comeback. Well, again, it's sort of like uh, it's, it's happened a few times this year, yeah. right? right? At Stanford, at Fresno State, and, and just that grit and that resilience to just continue to try to execute. Right. And belief. Uh, these guys have great belief in themselves, and right. these coaches have great belief in them. Right. Uh, one last question about the Oregon game yeah. for you, Jonathan. Uh, I remember talking about the 2016 uh, game over Oregon. Obviously, you weren't the coach at that point, but I was uh, had a conversation with Brent Brennan, uh, who's now the head coach at San Jose State, used to coach at Oregon State. This was like a year ago. We were just chatting and kind of reminiscing about the 2016 game. And I asked him uh, about the play calling. when it, That game was somewhat similar, where it, Ryan Nall and the Beavers ran the ball for the final I think it was 19 plays of that game, and it, there's somewhat similar trajectory of that game, and it's somewhat different too. 
and I asked him, do you, what, you know, what were the conversations like in the play calling? Were there any conversations with the, um, you know, between the coaches? And he kind of laughed and said, well, Kevin McGiven, who was the offensive coordinator at the time, he, you know, after 15 run plays or whatever, McGiven says, ah, let's run play action. Let's, you know, do something. And Brennan said, no, we're not doing it. It's like, we're, absolutely, we're not doing it. Uh, and it was just funny. It ended up working out. I'm, I'm wondering, was there ever a, a similar conversation? Was anyone suggesting it? Or was everyone just on the same board? Let's run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Yeah, there was similar conversation. Hey, do we need to mix in a pass here? I mean, some of it, you look at the field position we gained the ball. You know, it was on their side of the 50 a lot. And so the way we were running it, uh, but after a while, did we mix in some type of play-action pass? And I think we actually we might have called one, but then Newell rips off a 20-yard touchdown run. Um, but, yeah, those conversations going on, but I'm glad we stuck to it. Right. Well, let's uh, – a few other questions just about the program, especially the other crazy part of this season was the stadium rebuild. You're playing in front of a, a stadium that – uh, I mean, it worked. It was a fun season. This will be a, a memorable one for a lot of reasons, and it's going to be the only one where the stadium looked at as it did. Next season will be better in a sense, but this one was also special in its own way. Uh, Scott, I'm sure there was a, a ton of work behind the scenes uh, to, to make it all put together, to have a football season in the circumstances it was. Uh, take me behind the scenes a little bit of just what had to go right to still play football games and have almost 30,000 in the stands. Yeah, you know, a lot of the planning that we were doing to get uh, that, that structure up out of the ground at the same time, uh, we were planning for that first home game and what that would look like, egress, ingress, uh, how, how we were staging around the construction while we were bringing fans in the stadium, um, all of that was going on. Our, our staff did an incredible job uh, uh, with, with our, our, our design build team to pull that off. Yeah. And um, there are a lot of things you think about that could go wrong. And, and ultimately, um, it went very well given yeah. the circumstances, right? right. I mean, uh, nothing's perfect when you're trying to, to rebuild a stadium and play at the same time. But it, it went, it, it came off very well for, yeah. for all the issues that we had. Right. Really. It was uh, it was just a fun environment. You wouldn't expect it for you know a third of the stadium to be out, but it, it absolutely was. Um, tell me a little bit also just about the the project's goals. It's a 153 million dollar rebuild, and, and what the the hope is at the end. Uh, what are some other things that the average fan might not know about uh, what the ultimate vision is for Oregon State Athletics and this this specific rebuild? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. There's a lot there. Um, you know when we started fundamentally we had a, a huge uh, deferred maintenance issue and um, void of uh, any real fan amenities on that side mm -hmm. the, the stadium literally on that side hadn't been paid attention to for decades yeah. so um, here we go and in the process uh, we really gravitated towards year-round use and in, in what is now over a 160 million dollar building we wanted to make sure that this was used more than game day mm -hmm. but but ultimately the fan experience drove this the year-round use drove this as, as priorities, connecting the north and the south so that uh, you could move around the stadium for the first time yeah. um, in, in, in 360 degrees there. Uh, those were all, all key components to this. And then finally, and, and uh, really we're gratified by it, is, is uh, a sus financial sustainability yeah. model that not only pays for the renovations but creates a, a significant new net revenue back to all 17 of right. our programs, right. which is, is key to our success now and in the future. So uh, we're pleased we're on schedule, um, okay. uh, on, on, on budget, and, and we'll, we'll be substantially complete by late May and have okay. the summer to 
work out all the kinks. Good. It'll be, it'll be fun to see. I was a bit sad to see the West Side go, and I, I grew up sitting on that West Side when I was a kid watching the early Mike Riley years, that, those orange poles that would sit right in front of the far left one, 20-yard line. So I was there in January when it went down. But I was also happy to see that the progress, the excitement, the, the work put in. And for you, Jonathan, I'm curious if, if you've already seen an impact when you're talking with recruits, for example, if they notice a look at the athletic department putting in the effort. They seem to care. If you've seen a response from recruits because they can tell, oh, look at the stadium being rebuilt. rebuilt. Have, you, have you seen positive feedback? Yeah, well, without question, they've seen the, the momentum, the investment uh, that, again, we're always improving, getting better. This thing is going to be top notch. Uh, I can go back to, I think it was my first year here as the head coach. Scott's in my office. He points out my window because it's right there. He's like, you know what, we're going to get this done. And Going back to this guy's leadership, his vision for it, the work, not just himself, the whole staff, but him leading the group. I mean, it changes things in a huge, huge way. And yeah, for our recruiting, our players, the atmosphere, our, you know, I will credit Beaver Nation for the atmosphere they had this year. And with two thirds of the stadium or whatnot, uh, was big time. I cannot wait for a home opener here next fall. One uh, other question to come back to kind of the culture of the program and coaching this team. Uh, I remember having a conversation with Pat Casey a few years ago, legendary baseball coach here for years, and he had a, a somewhat similar task of, of building the culture, establishing Oregon State baseball as a, a standout program. Um, and one of the things that he had to learn early on once the team started to get good was that now that he could recruit a wider variety of players, it was almost harder because he wouldn't always get guys that were a fit for the team. He had almost too many options. So we had to kind of scale back and make sure we're getting the right guys, even if it isn't always the number one rated recruit. Uh, for you, has there been any, any lessons you've learned now? You're not coaching a team that won one game from the year prior. Now you're going to come off a nine-win season. That's a a different job now. So uh, what, what's a lesson or two you've learned and how to you know, adjust to the different yep. yep, it's a lot there, that question. I mean, I will say nine wins gets you in more doors, but ultimately it still comes down, you look for the right fit for our place that can come flourish and, and contribute in a big way to the culture we have, let alone on the field. And, you know, again, it's about identification. We're in more doors now, but we're still pretty selective. Again, going to this idea of the fit Looking for good players that, uh, you know, school's important. There's a good dude to be around, and we're going to try to continue to do that. Well, let's close with a couple of thoughts just on this bowl week and the upcoming game since you get to hopefully put a cap on what's already been a great season, get to a 10th win. Um, first of all, just to talk about the opponent, played a lot of teams in Oregon State football history, over 100 different teams. Never played Florida, though, before, so that'll be, that'll be a new one. Uh, what have you learned about them, something that they may do differently in the SEC that you might see in, in the Pac-12? Yeah, that's what's fun about bowl games is you play people outside the league or maybe you've never played before. These guys uh, do a great job, really, in all three phases. It starts with their physicality, athleticism, the schematics they have is a little bit seeing some different looks than, than we've seen in the Pac-12, so we've got to be ready to, to adjust for that. And uh, I think it's fun. I think our... You know, our fan base, I know our players are into the idea of playing a big-time program with a rich history and, and tradition and the type of players they have. Big-time challenge, awesome stadium, our fan base showing up. It, we're really looking forward to it. Oregon State has never gone exactly 10-3 and three before in a season. Two seasons, you've gotten to double-digit wins. 06, uh, you play, Oregon State played Hawaii, so you could have a 13th regular season game. Ended up going 10-4. and four. 
Also, you've got the 2001 season or 2000 season where you uh, win 11 and 1. So, if you win this game, you end up having the second best win percentage of any Oregon State football season ever. And Oregon State started playing football in the 1800s, so that means something. Uh, and it could be also, I mean, the 2000 season, you're the starting quarterback, and this season is the head coach. So, to have potentially, you know, two of the best seasons ever in Oregon State football, that, that's I'm sure you won't brag about it to too many people. I'll brag about it for you a little bit, but hopefully that, that uh, sinks in a little bit. Maybe not yet, but has it sunk in a little bit? Well, I think it's an opportunity we have in front of us. Um, again, I go back to these players wanted to leave a, a legacy. A lot of these guys have been around here a long time, go out on the right note. Winning 10 games is huge, and we've got that opportunity to do, and, and that's why it goes back to these guys are excited to play the game. Since it's bowl week and you get to go to Las Vegas, what are you most looking forward to, Scott, or just about the festivities, see the players enjoy anything you're looking forward to, any particular activities? No, I always love it when we can land in a bowl game where we have the best chance to gather Beaver Nation. Yeah. And so just to, to know that um, the turnout in Las Vegas, we're going to own that city yeah. for a few days. Yeah. And, and to be around that environment and celebrate with our fans and, and family is going to be awesome. Right. And it should be uh, a great environment, should be a great game. Um, uh, last thing I'll ask just in terms of uh, what the next steps will look like after the bowl game. It's always been a quick process, turnaround, signing day, and more recruiting and all that. Uh, I'll kind of ask the same question, but for you, Jonathan, first, what's, what's the next step? So the job doesn't stop. You won't have five months to just kick around and do nothing, but what is the rest of December and January, all that? Look yeah, like? we play the game on the 17th. The signing date is that coming Wednesday, and so, yeah, they're all – all eyes on that. Um, after that signing day, you try to, try to take a deep breath, enjoy the holidays a little bit, um, and then recruiting heavy through January. Uh, these guys will get back, start school again, start training, uh, and we'll do spring ball again in the middle of March or so. Uh, so there's always something coming next, but all eyes on the recruiting end after this game. And for you, Scott, what's what's on tap for after December, uh, after the bowl game on the 17th? Yeah, we're, we're really working hard. Our staff is, is working hard on taking that moment yeah. from this season and, and converting that to growing the season ticket base. Yeah. So uh, full speed ahead in, in growing that base and then wrapping up this uh, $160 million project uh, and, and getting uh, getting the bow around it, around it here. So all that coming, and, and uh, I can't wait to see that momentum that, that Jonathan, our student athletes, his staff has, have helped build and reassure um, take another step next year. And I think... Uh, Beaver Nation is poised and ready and, and has a passion and appetite to, to, to do that. So we're looking forward to that. Okay. Well, uh, bowl games this Saturday kick off at 1130. Hope to have your support either there in Las Vegas or on ESPN. Jonathan, Scott, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Until next time, this has been Episode 7 of Sport Oregon Voices.